In your Bibles this morning, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 4. On Sunday evenings, I've been preaching for some time now. I preached through the book of 1 Samuel, and now I'm in 2 Samuel. And uh, I'm not going to be preaching tonight. Uh, Travis and Allie, both of their parents, uh, moms and dads both, are in uh, Christian service church work. And uh, Allie's dad, Mike Fox, he'll be preaching for us tonight. Excited about having him come and preach. He was one of my teachers in college, and he's great. He'll be a help to you. He's preached here before, but he'll be preaching tonight. So I thought, well, I think I'm going to preach out of first, out of Second Samuel this morning. And I want to take you in Second Samuel chapter number 4, but I want to back you up and give you a context of who we're talking about. We're talking about David. Uh, now, David was the shepherd boy, and David was chosen of God and anointed by Samuel as a teenager to be the next king of Israel. But there's one person that stands in his way for a long time. His name is King Saul. King Saul is uh, the first king of Israel, and King Saul, he, his heart turns away from the Lord. David moves from a shepherd's field to fighting in a battle that most people that know anything about the Bible are familiar with, David fighting the giant Goliath. When David conquers the giant Goliath as a very, very young man, uh, God gives him favor with the people, the people of Israel. And David begins to rule in a big way. The, there's a group of ladies that are pretty impressed with David, and they sing this song, David... Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And uh, that song and the heart that the people of Israel have for David is something that stirs up a bunch of envy and rage and jealousy in the heart of Saul. Saul sins against God, and uh, God makes it plain both to Saul and David that the next king of Israel will be none other than David himself. For 10 years, David lays in wait and is running for his life while Saul tries to kill him. And uh, finally, at the end of 10 years of running, Saul uh, actually falls on his own sword, kills himself on a battlefield, and David, the rightful king of Israel, becomes king. The only problem is he becomes king of a divided kingdom. On one side, you have David who is leading a portion of the nation of Israel and on the other side there is an old general named Abner and the only remaining son living son of King Saul his name is Ishbosheth and so you've got Ishbosheth as the new king of the rest of the nation of Israel and David is the king of a portion of the nation of Israel and so there's some opposition. This arrangement goes on for seven and a half years. On one side, you have Ishbosheth and the general named Abner. On the other side, you have King David and a general named Joab. Now, when we come to this moment in history and we see the nature of kings during this time, it would have been absolutely natural. For David to wish ill against Ishbosheth, the person who is standing between him and the rest of his rightful kingdom, the nation of Israel. But we meet up with David and we find out David is not like everybody else. David is not the kind of man who's out for vengeance. He's not the kind of man who's out for revenge. He's not the kind of man that's going to take matters into his own hands and get what he wants sinfully at this moment in his life. And so we come to chapter number 4, 
We have an interesting story that includes some interesting characters and a message I hope that will be a help to you this morning. 2 Samuel chapter number 4. The Bible says this. And when Saul's son heard, Saul's son is Ishbosheth. When Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. The name of the one was Bana, and the name of the other, Rechab, the sons of Rimon, a Berethite, of the children of Benjamin, for Baroth also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Berethites fled to Gidim, and were sojourners there until this day. Verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And the sons of Rimon, the Berethite, Rechab, and Bana went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber. And they smote him and slew him and beheaded him and took his head and gat them away through the plain all night. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron. And said to the king, Behold the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life. And the Lord hath avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his seed. We'll stop there for just a moment. Now, here's what's happened so far. We meet up with two guys, their brothers, Rechab and Bana. Rechab and Bana. Now these two guys, they were leaders in a section of Ishbosheth's kingdom. So you've got these guys who are actually subordinate to Ishbosheth, but they found out something. You remember I told you Ishbosheth had a general. His name was Abner. Well, Abner's dead. Ishbosheth is scared to death. He's heard that Abner's dead. He is worried sick and he knows that his time is short and he doesn't know how things are going to end or things are going to happen. So Ishbosheth is a nervous wreck, scared, feeble in his hands, and he's spent the whole day in bed in a plan that these two brothers have dreamed up. Rechab and Bana, they decide the best way to get favor with King David because the inevitable is about to happen, is if we sneak in, kill Ishbosheth, and take David, his head, as proof in our prize that we are with David. And so they do just that. They, the Bible says, smite him and then smite him under the fifth rib and kill him and take off, cut off his head and carry his head with him to Hebron, and they meet up with David. Here's my question. When you get to this moment, how do you think David's going to respond to this? How do you think David's going to respond to two guys sneaking in and murdering 
Saul's son, his enemy, his opponent, the person that stands between him and his right foot. How do you think David's going to respond to that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Let's see what the Bible says. The two brothers, they say to David that the Lord has avenged you, the king this day, of Saul and his seed. Verse 9. And David answered, Rechab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Rimon, the Berethite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. Let's stop there for just a minute. Let me explain that verse to you. I don't know if you remember this or not, but right after Saul and Jonathan died on the battlefield, David had just barely heard or began to find out that Saul and Jonathan were dead. There was a man that had been uh, going over the dead bodies there in where the battle had taken place, and they had come across, this man had come across the sword and the shield of None other than King Saul himself. This man gathers King Saul's sword and gathers King Saul's shield and he takes off with a plan. He's got a plan. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go tell David, King David, that I killed Saul. And he's going to be so proud of me. And so that's what he does. He goes to David. At that moment, David is in Ziklag and when he goes to David and Ziklag, he tells David the biggest, fattest lie that you've ever heard. I killed him, David. I killed him. And David said, all these years, I refused to raise my hand against God's anointed. And you've killed the king of Israel. And David sentenced him to his rightful death. He hadn't killed him at all. Saul had killed himself. But he'd lied to God's anointed king. And David was not going to stand for that. So David tells these two brothers, Rechab and Bana, he says, now listen, boys, other folks have tried this before. He said, for those, that guy that came to me in Ziklag, it didn't work out because we're not going to be the kind of people that raise our hands against folks and do things the wrong way. So he continues in verse number 11. He says, in light of what happened in Ziklag, he says, how much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them and cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them up over the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. What happened? David issued righteous judgment on two men that took the life of Ishbosheth. It didn't matter to David that Ishbosheth was the person that stood between him and his promise and his power and his prominence as the king of Israel. It didn't matter. Because David says, and David sets up his kingdom this way. I can just hear David saying to his men and saying to these two brothers, hey, listen, that's not how we work around here. 
That's not how we do things. That's not what we're going to be guilty of. Maybe it was the common practice of the day for kings to execute other kings in cold blood. But David said, I'm not like other kings. Maybe it was a common practice that day to use deceit and wickedness and envy and jealousy to rule and reign over people and put people into subservient positions. But David said, that's not how we work. We're not doing it that way. And when these two brothers came with the head of David's adversary and told the story, David was not moved with gratitude because they had taken someone out of David's path. David was moved with righteous indignation because these men had sinned against God and shed innocent blood. When I read this, Early this week, over and over again, this little thought came to my mind. Just, oh, I just kept thinking about David. I thought it would have been just normal for a king at this time to be, thank you, here's, a, here's a pot of gold, be on your way, God bless you. But I could just hear David saying over and over again, that's not how we work around here. I'm thankful this moment in David's life He had the kind of courage to say, it may be common practice, but that's not how we work around here. It may be acceptable in some circles, but that's not how we work around here. It may be uh, excused and looked over among certain groups of people, but that's not how we work around here. And I love the conviction of David to stand up and do the right thing and trust the Lord and wait on the Lord. You know what David was? He was an upright man. That word keeps resonating in my heart, upright. I began to study and look at the word upright, and I was fascinated to know that that is truly a David word in the Bible. You find it in other places in Scripture. We find it several times in 2 Samuel, the word upright. We find it several times in the book of Job. The Bible says that Job was an upright man. But you find it over and over and over and over again in the book of Psalms, the book in which David wrote the majority. Upright. You see it again a lot in the book of Proverbs, and none other than David's son Solomon wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs, and David had passed this idea of being upright. What's it mean to be upright? Upright means that you're going to stand up and do the right thing. Upright means you're not going to squirm around and cheat and steal and scheme to get what you want. Upright. Upright is honest. Upright. David was an upright man. The opposite of the word upright in today's vernacular would be weasel. Have you ever met a weasel? (laughs) When When you think of a weasel, he's a sneaky little slivery little thing. Some people call them snakes. You see, there's a lot of folks, and actually it's come to in our culture where it's just absolutely expected that most people are going to be like snakes in the grass and weasel their way through life, lying and cheating and scheming just to get by and get whatever they want. But I want you to know something. I pray that God will help us as His church to not be like that at all. I pray we'd yearn to be upright. We'd yearn to be upright and may. We carry this theme into our life this week. Like David, that's not how we work around here. 
You may excuse it, but that's not how we work around here. God help us. Today's message is titled just that. That's not how we work around here. Let's look at a few things. The first thing I want you to see, we're going to look at characters this morning. First, I want you to see number one, Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth, he is the victim of this crime, but Ishbosheth is actually the victim of his own decisions. Ishbosheth is the last living son of Saul. We meet in verse number four another heir to the throne. His name is Mephibosheth. But Ishbosheth is the last son of Saul, and so the idea is that if Ishbosheth is gone, then the kingdom is David's, and it was. That's how it worked. But I want you to see something about Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth knew that David was the rightful king. Saul, his dad, had admitted openly on many occasions that David was the rightful king of the nation of Israel, but Saul never had the grace to do what was right. And Ishbosheth knew that David was the rightful king, but he let a man named Abner, his general, talk him into becoming the next king, and they divided the nation of Israel. Now, Ishbosheth was a guy that was running from God and running from God's will. And the Bible says of Ishbosheth in verse number one Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron. His hands were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. Have you ever got scared so bad that you just, oh, you just couldn't do anything? That was the situation that Ishbosheth was in. As a matter of fact, we see him a little bit later in this chapter. We see Ishbosheth at high noon. He's still laying on his bed. He's paralyzed in fear. He's fearful. Ishbosheth is fearful. Let me tell you why Ishbosheth is fearful. Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth is living in fear because he is out of the will of God. He's living in fear because he's out of the will of God. He is running against the grain and against the will and purpose of God. That's what happens. Folks, if you've decided to do whatever you want to do with no regard to what God and God's word says, you should be afraid. There's a passage of scripture in the Proverbs that's very helpful. The Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Have you ever met somebody scared of their own shadow? I'm not just talking about a scaredy cat. I'm talking about somebody scared of their own shadow. They're afraid that something bad is going to happen all the time. Most of the time, you can trace that back not to just a personality trait, but to somebody who is running from the will of God and is living in sin. It just happens like that. You see, if you are, as a Christian, you're a saved person, if you're running from God and running from God's will, fear is something that will torment you. Ishbosheth, what kind of grounds did he have to stand on? The only grounds that Ishbosheth at this moment, at this moment had to stand on was, well, Abner's a big, strong man who's able to kill people and fight wars and lead people. I can trust in Abner. Well, Abner was dead. When Abner was gone, Ishbosheth had no courage left because he definitely couldn't trust in the Lord because he was going against God. Let me tell you, if you're a saved person and you're running from the will of God, you should be afraid. You're probably not scared enough. And Ishbosheth, his life is described as fearful and feeble. Why? Because he's running from the will of God. He's running from the blessing of God. He is out and out going against God. 
And folks, that is good reason to be afraid. You know what David said? I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to live in fear and rage. He said, I've watched, I've watched David, I mean, I watched Saul do this for way too long. I've watched Ishbosheth be ruled by fear. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to live like that. This kingdom's going to be different. He says, that's not how we work around here. Now, the Lord teaches something from Ishbosheth. He was fearful. Number two, let's learn from these two brothers. Rechab and Bana. Now, their names can be pronounced 50 different ways. It's kind of funny because when I'm studying and reading, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say the names. The key to pronouncing Bible names, you want to hear this? Is to always pronounce them the same way. You're always, the chance of you getting it right is almost none. When you speak the language of heaven like we do here in Southwest Virginia, when you start trying to pronounce Hebrew names, that's what I tell folks all the time. Now they start talking about my accent. I said, you better get used to it. This is how we're going to talk in heaven. It's just how it is. Uh, this, is the, this is the language of heaven, the accent of glory. It just has to be. There's, the whole world revolves around Chill Howie, doesn't it? At any rate, uh, so you're trying to learn how to pronounce these names. And I'm not trying to learn how to do it right because I know that's impossible. But what I'm trying to do is I want to say it the same way every time. So y'all pray for me. Because these two names are hard. Rechab and Bana. And uh, I caught myself reading and I'd pronounce them different in my mind. As I was hearing it in my head, I'd pronounce it different every time I read it. But I'm trying to stick with Rechab and Bana. And if you want to say it different, you're wrong. But you can enjoy yourself. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> But these two guys, Rechab and Bana, can you imagine the business meeting that these two brothers had? They said, we're in big trouble. We've heard also that Abner's dead. Ishbosheth, our fearless leader, is paralyzed with fear in his bed. And we're getting ready to face a merger as a nation. And we've been leading a group of people, the Berethites. What are we going to do? And they said, aha, I've got a plan. And they start coming up with a scheme. Here's what we'll do. We will act like we're coming into the palace to get provision for our men, to get some wheat. And we'll walk right past the wheat room and into the bedchamber of Ishbosheth, and we'll kill him dead, cut off his head, and we'll make a beeline as fast as we can get out of town, and we're going to take his head to David because surely King David will be so happy with us if we show how loyal we are by killing Ishbosheth. And we know the end of the story. And we know this was a very foolhardy decision. And David would say that that's not how we work around here. But maybe we can learn something from Rechab and Bainan. You know what? A word that I think describes these two guys is scheming. Scheming. They're weasels. There's no doubt about it. They're scheming. Look at the Bible says in verse number 5. The sons of Rimon, the Berethite, Rechab and Bana went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. What did they do? They planned on showing up at Ishbosheth's house and killing him. Let me talk to you about something really, really plain and simple. If in your life you are planning right now to sin in order to get what you want, stop it. Stop it. You know, in murder trials... There's difference between a premeditated and something that you do in an act of passion in a moment. This premeditated stuff is bad news. Now look, it's no different in our Christian life. If you think somehow and you're planning on sinning in order to get what you want, you are walking down a path to destruction. 
Something that's terrible about these two guys, Rechab and Bana. Rechab and Bana, they were scheming together, but they were planning on sinning, trying to get what they want. If sin is in your plan, let me just tell you something. God is not going to bless that. If sin is in your scheme, your scheme is going against God. Folks, if you have to lie to get it, you don't need it. If you have to cheat to have it, you shouldn't have it. And David's response to the scheme is, we we don't do things like that around here. That's not how we work. And we see these two guys scheming. They're planning on sinning. Don't do that. Look what the Bible says in verse number 6. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. Now, I think this is kind of interesting. In my mind, I've got pictured how this all went down. I would certainly imagine that the king of a large portion of the nation of Israel would have somebody manning the door. And I can just see these two brothers, Rechab and Bana, making their way to the door. They come to the door. What are you doing, boys? They said, we're coming to get some wheat. Our boys, our, our soldiers need some, uh, need some provision and food. Hey, come on in. You know where it's at. And they sneak into the palace and they go past the room where the wheat is kept. And they sneak their way into the room and bedchamber of Ishbosheth, And there they kill him. The thing I see is this little phrase, as though they would have fetched wheat. What were they doing? They were being sneaky. Sneaky. I think about the only time we should be sneaky is if we're hiding Christmas presents from our children. There's no room in marriages to be sneaky. There's no room in work and our work life to sneak around and try to cheat and scheme. Sneaky. Hey, listen, if you have to sneak around to get it, you probably don't need it. What kind of man was David? He was upright. What kind of men was Rechab and Bana? They were weasels. They're sneaking around. Look, if you're sneaking, stop sneaking. You know something that would be very freeing to you? It's to not have to worry about the skeletons in the closet or the trash on your phone. It'll be freeing to know that you don't have to sneak around anymore because you're an upright man, because you're an upright woman, because you're an upright teenager. They were scheming. That's not all. Look at the Bible says in verse number 7. The Bible says in verse number 7, For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him. Back up one verse. The Bible says they smote him under the fifth rib. If you've been here on Sunday nights, you've been here, this, this fifth rib's come up several times. It's kind of fascinating. It's just the way that folks at this moment in history are taking care of their adversaries. There was this guy, his name was Asahel. Uh, Asahel. Asahel is the, son of jo- is the brother of Joab, and he was on David's side. Asahel, the Bible said he was as fast as a deer. He could run, and Asahel was aggravated because he hated Ishbosheth. He couldn't stand Abner. He couldn't stand the other people that were going against David. And I said, Amen, Asahel. And Asahel, he, he runs after Abner, this uh, seasoned warrior. And the Bible says that he just kept picking on Abner until Abner finally said, Hey, look, you need to go pick on, pick on somebody your own size. And he wouldn't do it. He said, Turn around here and fight me. Turn around and fight me. And finally, Abner takes a, a spear. It's got a sharpened end. And behind him, Abner goes behind him and stabs Asahel right in the fifth rib. And Asahel dies right there on the path that day. 
That's earlier in the same book, just a couple chapters ago. Then, Joab and his brothers are upset and aggravated because Abner killed Asahel, and you'll never guess what happened. The brothers of Asahel got revenge, and they stabbed Abner under the fifth rib, and he died. And now, Ishmosheth has been stabbed under the fifth rib, and he died. Now, look, everybody's doing it. It's got to be okay, right? No. No. Now, listen. Now, that's silly. We're not talking about going out and stabbing people. But I'm telling you, we excuse so much rottenness and sin because it has become culturally acceptable. Stop that trash. Be like David and say, that's not how we work around here. The whole world may have decided to do that, but we're not going to be those people. My children, my home, my church, with God's help, it's not going to be like that. That's not how we work around here. And they went and they smote him under the fifth rib. Other, another thing I see in verse 7, this, these two guys, Rechab and Bana, what were they, they were willing to hurt other people in order to get what they want. If you've become so self-centered and selfish-minded that you are glad or willing to hurt other people deeply in order that you might get your sinful desires fulfilled, you've got problems. I probably be like David and say, that's not how we work around here. Look what else they did. This will drive you crazy. Verse number 8. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God blessed Rechab and Bana? The answer is no. Those rotten, dirty, scheming, weasel dogs. No, God didn't bless them. But here's, listen, listen to what they say in verse number 8. They brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life. And the Lord hath avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and of his seed. Do you know what Rechab and Bana told King David? They said, now we know David is a God kind of guy. He's one, of those, he's one of those Jesus people. And he sings songs about Jesus all the time. And he talks about how God helped him and how God gave him the ability to kill Goliath. And he talks about God all the time. He writes these songs and sings about Jesus. He's one of those Jesus people. And I said, you know, if we're going to really get in with David, we've got to tell him what God did for us. And you know what they did? Rechab and Bana, probably their greatest sin. They go to David and they say, The Lord Jehovah has avenged you, the king, this day of Saul and his seed. What did they do? They played the Jesus card. That's sickening. You know what they did? According to Exodus chapter number 20, they took the name of the Lord thy God in vain. They took God's name in vain. Now, look, we should be careful. I don't think we should use the name of God or Jesus in a form that's not reverent. But taking the name of the Lord in vain goes deeper than just a vocabulary lesson. Look, don't live like the devil and broadcast the name of Christ. You've taken his name in vain. Don't try to justify your sinful behavior and call it Jesus. Don't do it. You see, they were schemers. Rechab and Bana, they were schemers. The Bible says, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall they also reap. And they reap the end of their horrible scheme. 
You know what David said? Listen, that's not how we work around here. We don't do it that way. As a matter of fact, let's consider this, the last thing, number three, David. We've looked at Ishbosheth. He was fearful. We've looked at Rechab and Bana. They were scheming. Finally, number three, we look at David. David, he was upright. He was upright. David hit things head on. This wasn't the first time that David had been dealt with somebody who wanted to find promise and prestige out of lying and cheating and pretending to kill his enemy. He'd met the man in Ziklag and dealt accordingly. And now he must deal with Rechab and Bana. Look how he responds. They said, they said, the Lord's avenged you. The Lord's avenged you. Maybe they're saying, we've been used of God for you, O king, king, king. And David says in verse 9, David answered Rechab and Bana, his brother, sons of Rimon, the Beerthite, and said to him, what did he say to him? He said, as the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. He said, look, you boys didn't have nothing to do with redeeming my soul. God did it. Don't forget it. God did it. He said, as a matter of fact, you're not the first person that's came with this kind of trick and tried to pull the wool over my eyes with something like this before. It happened in Ziklag. We talked about it in verse number 10. He says in verse number 11, he says, listen, if I executed righteous judgment on the liar in Ziklag, he says, how much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house Upon his bed. I think it's pretty fascinating how David describes Ishbosheth. He gives Ishbosheth great mercy. He knew Ishbosheth. He knew Ishbosheth personally. At one time, Ishbosheth was his brother in law. They had lived together, they had spent time together. He knew Ishbosheth. And he said, I know what's happened to Ishbosheth. Abner's made him a king, and poor Ishbosheth, he's ignorant, he's weak, he's struggling. He says, you've, you've slain, murdered a righteous person. Don't tell me that. He shows mercy to Ishbosheth. He doesn't, even though Ishbosheth is between him and his rightful kingdom, he has mercy towards Ishbosheth. I like that mercy. But he also does the right thing when it comes to punishing sin. Now, this is a part of God's word that some people hate. And I can understand that it's hard to talk about. But what in the world do you do to two men that have murdered a man in cold blood in his bed? I'll tell you. There's a penalty for that. There's a price to be paid. And the law of the land at that moment, God's law, stood with great clarity as to what was to be done. And David, being a godly, righteous man, I'm sure he didn't love the fact that Judgment and wrath had to be taken out on these men. Because we never do. I watch TV shows and I see people uh, get uh, convicted. The bad guy gets convicted and they have their sentencing. And I, and it, I have to be careful because I watch a television show and I'll get a knot in my gut because I'm like, oh, man, those people wasted their lives. And I remember it's just an actor. Stop, Cody, stop. Uh, but I don't like for people to be punished. But I'll tell you something. If as a society you stop enforcing the law of the land, you end up with chaos 
And David was righteous. He said, I'm sure he didn't like calling the young men to execute these men for, for murdering Ishbosheth, but it was absolutely necessary. The Bible says, Smite the scorner, and the simple will beware. Order requires the enforcement of laws and punishment for sin and punishment for wrongdoing. We don't love it, it's absolutely necessary. You know what kind of man David was? He was upright. Being upright doesn't mean you're soft and weak and everything's sweet all the time. Being upright means you do what has to be done when it has to be done. You know, there's hard things that have to be done in life. May God help us to choose the right hard thing. He was upright. Not only was he upright in regards to the righteous judgment of the law and the plan of God, but he's also upright when it came to mercy. There's one character that shows up in this passage of Scripture that we bring it to a conclusion right now. His name is Mephibosheth. Now, one reason that in verse number 4 we meet Mephibosheth. Look at, let's just get an idea, a picture about who Mephibosheth is right now. The Bible is just like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they tell us about Mephibosheth. Verse number 4 of this chapter. The Bible says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. What happened? This boy was the son of Jonathan, Saul's grandson, Ishbosheth's nephew. This was Jonathan's boy. His name was Mephibosheth. When news came that Jonathan and Saul were dead, Mephibosheth was five years old. In fear, his nurse, you see this, verse before. In fear, his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, here's the fun thing about Mephibosheth. Number one, when they killed Ishbosheth, they said, Ha ha, we've revenged the seed of Saul. No, they hadn't. There was still one left. A rightful heir to Saul's throne, the only one left, was Mephibosheth. And at this time, he was about 13 years old. But most importantly, why do you think we see Mephibosheth right here? Because here in just a little bit, David is going to be the king of all of Israel. In about chapter number 9, David's going to be thinking about the house of Saul. The house of Ishbosheth, the people who stood between him and his throne, his so-called enemies. And you know what David wants to do? He wants to know, is there any of the house of Saul out there? Is there anybody kin to Jonathan out there that I can squish like a bug? No. He says that I can show my kindness to. They do a little research, and you know who they come up with? Mephibosheth. A 13-year-old crippled boy. Hiding because he is the only male heir left to Saul's throne. Hiding from King David. Hiding for his life because you know how some people are. You know what David does? David says, you find that boy. You bring him to my house. And we're going to get him a room, a nice room. And we're going to feed him at my table. And he's going to eat with me. And he's going to grow up around here. And I'm going to treat him like a king. David was an upright man. 
And the very person that should have been his enemy on earth. He says, you had nothing to do with what your dad's done, your grandfather's done. You had nothing to do with what your uncle's done. He said, I'm going to show you my mercy. I'm going to show you grace. And David brought that little crippled boy into his home. Mephibosheth. Why? David said, that's how we do things around here. That's how we do things around here. That's how things work around here. We're going to extend the grace and love and mercy of God and do things right because we're determined to be upright. David says in this situation, that's not how we work around here. But he shows us in Mephibosheth. How upright men work and do and serve. May God help us. I pray you'll stand up against the culture. The accepted norms of sinful behavior. As a Christian man, a Christian woman, as a young person, say, hey, look, that's not how we work around here. May God help us.